Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 15. We'll read our text and then we'll pray for God's blessing and, and uh, power. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 15. It says, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what uh, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power. And I want us to, to add to that uh, not only his mighty power, but look at verse 20. The mighty power which he wrought or worked in Christ. Let's bow and pray. Father, we thank you so much for every blessing that you've given. We thank you for your love and your mercy. Uh, God, we want again just to lift all these prayer requests up that have been mentioned tonight. Uh, we pray for the preaching of your word, God, that you would uh, calm our hearts, calm our minds, uh, Lord, clear it of any distraction that we might have, uh, help us to put everything aside because there is nothing more important right now going on than your word and what your spirit would say to us. God, help us to have an ear to hear, help us to be obedient, we ask it all in Jesus' name, amen. Tonight we're looking at Paul's prayer for the Ephesians, and we finished up a great big long sentence last week. Uh, we're starting another one this week. How does that sound? It's not as long as the last one, but it is uh, another long one. Uh, but we find here, uh, over the past several weeks, we, we've been looking at our spiritual blessings in Christ. And I continue to go back here because it's so important to proper interpreting, properly interpreting uh, chapter 1 of Ephesians. And that is Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. This, this whole chapter, everything we've looked at so far, has been about what we find in verse 3, where he says, Blessed be the, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who did what? Who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. So everything that we've been talking about are the spiritual blessings that we have reserved for us and available to us in heavenly places. That's talking about the spiritual realm. And, uh, and, and not only is it found in the spiritual realm, but we have those things in Christ, is what we find here in these verses. Now, what are the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ? Well, that's what the rest of verses 4 down through uh, verse, what was 11, uh, 14, sorry, down through verse 14. Uh, that's what all those are talking about, is spelling out all the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ Jesus. And so if you'll notice in verse 15, Paul begins this section with the word, wherefore. Or we see it in other places called therefore. And there's a, there's a great trick when you're reading the Bible and you're wanting to, uh, you, you know, to really properly interpret what's going on there. Anytime you see a therefore, here's the rule. Anytime you see a therefore, you always go back and see what it's there for. All right. So it's always the therefore, everything that we're about to read is based upon everything we just read. Does that make sense? Okay, good. So he says, wherefore, or therefore, uh, in verse 15, and what is, he, what is he referring back to? Well, he's saying, based upon the fact that we are 
chosen and predestinated and adopted because we have experienced redemption and forgiveness and grace since we've been given wisdom and knowledge and we know the mystery of his will because we've become recipients uh, of the sealing of the Holy Spirit and the great inheritance that we have in Christ because of all those things we've been looking at Paul says I pray for you I pray for you Based on everything that we've already looked at, he says, I am praying for you. And today we're going to look at Paul's prayer for them. What what is he praying about? To what end is he praying for them? And that's what we're going to focus on in our message today. Now, I want to look at three things about Paul's prayer. And hopefully this will be uh, very easy to to follow and and take down. But uh, the first one is the consistency of Paul's prayer. We find that in verses 15 and 16. The consistency of of Paul's prayer. Now, as we look at this, Paul was able to pray, we find very specifically for the church at Ephesus. Uh, He no doubt would have prayed for them regardless of what spiritual condition they were in, but we find that his prayer for them was in response to two things. We see that in verse 15. He says in verse 15, wherefore I also, look at this, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, or, or your love unto all the saints, He says, because I have heard of all these things, I now pray for you. Now, we're going to get to specifically what he was praying for them. But I want us to notice a couple of things here that uh, that his prayer for them was based or it was in response to two things. And first of all, it was their faith in Christ. He says, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus. So because he had heard of and was familiar with their faith in Jesus Christ. And notice this, not only their faith in Christ, but also their love unto all saints. He said, because I heard of these, I am praying for you. And, and we'll look at the prayer here in just a second. Now, I thought this was very interesting. This, I, this is not original with me, but I, I think it does explain it very well. Paul was very enthusiastic. He was very uplifted uh, about what he was seeing in the Ephesian church. Uh, there are a lot of times when we're praying for someone, uh, there are a lot of times that people are going to be heavy burdens on our heart. And uh, so a lot of times, if you're really praying and you're into prayer, uh, tears are going to start flowing from your eyes. Now, there's two reasons why tears are going to flow from your eyes. From your eyes. Uh, the reason, first of all, is because who you're praying about has become a heavy burden on your heart. I believe when Paul prayed for the Corinthian church, there were tears of sorrow and there were tears of pain. Uh, that he was, he was crying because of them and their lifestyles and the, the terrible stuff that was going on in the church. Yet in Ephesus, uh, as he prayed for the church at Ephesus, there, there were tears of joy because he knew that they were living what he had taught them, that they were showing and, and being examples of the love of Jesus Christ and examples of faith in Jesus Christ. And so he notices two things here. First of all, he says uh, that he, he saw their faith in Christ That is their vertical relationship. This is what I was getting to. Their faith in Christ is symbolic of their vertical relationship. Vertical means up and down. And so they've got a relationship with God. That's their faith in Christ. But also we have horizontal relationships as well. And that is their relationship or their love towards other people. So when he was hearing reports of, remember he spent three years at Ephesus teaching them and everything. When he heard those reports of Ephesus, of the the Ephesian people there, uh, when he heard those reports of how they had faith in God, how the relationship of God was growing and, and how their love for others was growing, it says he responded in prayer for them. 
having been a witness of these virtues, Paul said in verse 16 that he did not cease to pray for these believers. Look at verse 16 with me. We're going to read actually this together. He says, Wherefore also after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, your love for all saints, this 15, what did he do? He says, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Paul said, I do not stop praying for you. I mean, as I've heard these reports of your faith in Christ and your love for other people, he says, I can't stop praying for you. I just pray all the time for you. I don't cease. I don't stop to pray for you. Now, there's a couple of things I want you to notice here. First of all, he says, I don't, I don't stop praying for you. And we see that his prayer was both constant and consistent. And I, I want to explain both of those. First of all, I say that his prayer was constant, meaning that this is talking about the frequency of his prayer. That he says, I don't stop praying for you. I, I, there is never a time when I'm praying that I'm not lifting you up in prayer. I am constantly, frequently uh, praying for you and, and mentioning you in my prayers. But not only that his prayer was constant or that it was frequent, but also that it was consistent. The consistent has to do with the contents of his prayer. Now he said, first of all, he says, I don't stop praying for you. But next, in the next couple of verses, he's going to tell them the contents of his prayer. Here's what I'm praying about. I don't stop praying for you, and this is what I'm constantly lifting up to God in prayer. We're going to discuss the contents of his prayer in just a little bit. But we see that it was constant, and we see that, uh, that, that of course, uh, there were great contents. He was praying for great things for this church. Now, as we look at verse 16 and on down, we see that he was consistently praying for them in two ways. First of all, he says that he did not stop thanking God for them. He says, I do not cease, first of all, to do what? Do what? Give thanks. Give thanks. Y'all tuned out for a second, didn't you? That's all right. So he says, I cease not to give thanks. I can't stop thanking God for you. And the second thing is, not only do I, do I continue giving thanks, he says, but I'm always making mention of you in my prayers. And that word prayer there has to do with, with supplications. It has to do with intercessing for them. In other words, he's praying on their behalf. He's praying for their good. He's praying for their needs. And uh, so he says, first of all, I, I can't stop thanking God for you, and I'm always making mention of you in my prayers. Every time I pray, I'm lifting you up in these prayers. The people of the church were always in his praises, and they were always in his prayers. We see that he kept thanking God for what he had seen in them, and he kept praying to God for what they needed to see in Christ, what they needed to see in, in God. Now, although this is not the focus of the verses we're looking at, we would do a great injustice if we didn't notice Paul's prayer life here. And just pause for a second to, to think about the prayer life of Paul and some of the indications that we have here in these verses. First of all, I want to point out the fact that we see that Paul's prayers were not centered on him and his needs, but that they were, on, they were centered on the needs of others. As a matter of fact, if we were to just do some comparisons in different letters that he wrote to different churches, we're going to see where he said something similar to other churches as well, that I'm always making mention of you in my prayers. I'm always lifting you up in prayer. He was constantly praying. 
And, uh, and, and prayer was a part of his, his life. He was praying for other people. He was praying for new Christians. He was praying for those that had departed from faith. He was praying for unfaithful churches, just like he was praying for faithful churches. He, he had a constant and consistent prayer life. And he wasn't just praying for himself, we find, but he was, he was constantly praying in behalf of other people. I think if we were to, to keep a chart of the things that we just pray for, I think a lot of times, I see this in my own life, and I really have to be very intentional about doing this. And there are times where I'll, I'll be praying and praying and praying, and I'll stop and I think, you know what, I've been praying all this time, and it's all been about me, you know. And, uh, and so I have to, to, I have to stop praying for me and, and really start asking God to lay, lay the people on my heart that he wants me to be praying for. Uh, but, but we can be very selfish and self-centered in prayers. And, uh, and, and this is not to say we should never feel bad about praying for us, praying for yourself. I mean, there are things that you need and, and you, God wants you to go to, them, to him for those things. But when, we just, when our prayers are just a wish list of all the stuff that we'd like to see and things we want done in our lives and this, that, and the other, uh, what can happen is the focus of our prayer gets pointed inwardly instead of upward and outward. And so we, we need always to, uh, to be praying in behalf of other people. And so we see this about Paul's prayer life, that he didn't say, I constantly lift myself up in prayer. He said, I'm constantly thanking God for you. I'm constantly lifting you up in prayer. And so we see, first of all, that his prayer was upward and, and outwardly focused, not just, not just inwardly focused. But I want you to notice one other thing. I think this is so important here. You see, we find that prayer for him was not only an everyday practice. It wasn't just something he did every day, just something he did every morning and say, yeah, I have my prayer time every morning. It wasn't just an everyday practice. It had become a part of his life. Become a part of his life. I read somewhere, I, I thought this was funny. I, I'm never good at quoting this stuff, so just forgive me. Laugh. Somebody pull the card out, you know, whatever you got to do. But uh, somebody said that, that prayer is a lot like a AAA card. You know, we have it, but we don't really intend on using it until an emergency comes up. And that for prayer, for a lot of people, that's exactly what prayer is. It's something that we have as a reserve. It's something we know we can default to or we can fall back on if, if what we're doing doesn't work. But we only pull it out in, uh, in emergency situations. But here's what I want you to, to notice about Paul is that prayer wasn't just something he fell back on. Prayer wasn't just something he, he practiced every day. Prayer was a part of his life. It was part of everything he did. See, Paul realized, like we need to realize, that he had power to do nothing apart from the power of God. And the only way that we really are going to access the power of God is through prayer. The concept of prayer is closely related to a sheepdog. The sheepdog who helps the shepherd round up the sheep, he's trained to come to his master's feet. Every time he finishes a task... He comes right back to his master's feet. They learn to round up the sheep. They keep them in the fold. They'll bring them in and take them out and do whatever they got to do. But as soon as they're finished with that command, they run right back to the master's feet, ready for the next instruction. I want you to understand, that's what prayer really is supposed to be. Prayer is that abiding relationship where believers stay at the master's feet. So prayer isn't just checking in with the master when you need something. Prayer isn't just going to the master when everything's falling apart. Prayer is a constant abiding relationship with God. That's what it's supposed to be. 
a constant abiding relationship with God. And yeah, he's going to send us out to do tasks, but we're going to go out, and, and as soon as we're done, we come right back. What's next, Lord? And we're coming back right back, and, and it's a part of our everyday lives. The next thing we see is the concentration of Paul's prayer, and we find that in verses 17 through the first part of verse 18, the concentration of Paul's prayer. Paul prayed, as we find in verse 17, he prayed for them to know God. Let's look at verse 17. He says, he says in verse 16, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of, of you in my prayers for what? That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That's a mouthful. Uh, but we'll, we'll try to unpack this as, as best as we can. He says that he's praying that the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, might give to you what? Give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. His prayer was that God would give them, as we find in this verse, the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Now, I want us to look at that word revelation first just for a second. Revelation has to do with God revealing more and more truth. Or we can say it another way, the revelation has to do with God revealing more and more of himself. That the more we spend time with him, the more that we're returning to the master's feet for that time of fellowship and communion with him, the more time that we spend with God, the more that he unveils about himself. The more that he reveals and opens his eyes to us, the more he tells us about him. I use Nikki in a lot of my, uh, my illustrations, and she always loves it. But, you know, the truth is, is, I've told you this before, you know, we didn't know everything about each other when we got married. We just knew we loved each other. We knew we, knew we were right for each other. But here's how we know each other. We know each other because we spend more and more and more time with one another. As a matter of fact, uh, and I don't say this in a bragging way at all, um, because I say this sorrowfully, there were many years when I put things ahead of our relationship and ahead of our marriage. Same was true with my kids. But in recent years, God has rearranged my priority list. And I, I realized more and more, I need that relationship with her and I need that relationship with my kids. And so you know what we do now? We spend a lot of time together. And she's always happy. You know, I mean, there, there are times of tension when we spend all that time together. Usually her getting tired of me. But the more time we spend with each other, guess what? The more we get to know about each other. Y'all ever get to that, y'all couples, you ever get to that point where it's like you spend so much time together, you don't even know what to talk about anymore? It's like, you know, uh, I can't think of anything. We already talked about everything, you know? And, uh, but, but see, here's the thing about God. You see, God's infinite. So there's never going to come a time when there's not something he can show you about himself. Not just a little bit more that he can reveal about himself to you. And so that just makes us hunger to be more and more uh, with God and, and closer and closer to God so that he can show us more and more about himself. And so revelation has to do with him revealing more and more about himself to us. Now wisdom, he says the spirit of wisdom and revelation, wisdom is what we do with that information. So Paul was praying that God would reveal more and more of himself, more and more of the truth to them, 
And so he's praying for this, but he's also praying for wisdom. And that's what they turn around and do with that information. You see, knowledge, revelation is being knowing that, uh, that Nikki likes flowers. Wisdom is going and buying some flowers. Right? Y'all need to pray for wisdom for me. I got, I got the revelation. I just, the wisdom. So wisdom is what we do with what we find out about God. The more we know of him, the more we want to respond to that. I think it's so interesting. Philosophy says, know thyself. Christianity says, know God. Because here's the thing. The more you know of God, the more he reveals to you about himself. Here's here's it. The more you know God, the more you're going to understand yourself. Truly understand yourself. The more you're going to understand relationships. The more you're going to understand others and what God wants for you. So the key is always to start with knowing God. And Paul said, my prayer, I'm constantly making prayer for you that he would give you the spirit of wisdom and the revelation of the knowledge of who? Of him, of God, right? That they would know more and more about him. Now, how is this knowledge possible? He said, I want you to have this revelation or I want you to know yourself. How is this possible? We find in verse 18, he says, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. We're just going to stop right there, but, but look at that. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Being enlightened is a perfect participle, which just simply means this. That this was something that was done in the past, but it has present results. Now, I probably lost everybody when I said perfect participle. But, but here's all this means. What that means is that this enlightenment. Now, when we read the King James, it says, uh, it says in verse 18, uh, it says the eyes of your understanding. Look at this being enlightened. Being means it's, it's the something that's taking place right now. But what this what this present participle means is that it's not something that's happening now. This is something that's already taken place. That if you're a child of God, your eyes have already been enlightened. Your eyes have already been opened by the gospel. But what his prayer is, is that that this thing that took place then, that it would continue to to show up and have results now. That they would continue growing in the knowledge and, and growing in the enlightenment of what God's already given them. He opened their eyes then. He wants them to continue to see more and more now. so important to grow in the knowledge, not, not just in the Word of God, not just in, in things about God, but to grow in the knowledge of God. So important. Paul's prayer was that God would continue opening now the door that he had unlocked back then. That's what this means. Now the word enlightenment simply means that the light has come on. The light has come on. Uh, Light in this case has to do with internalized truth. That it's not just something that they know, but but they know it inside. They know it for themselves. That that it's becoming more and more, uh, you know, unveiled to them. It's becoming more and more real to them. It's internalized truth. It's when the light bulb comes on. And we've all seen the cartoons and and, uh, they're all, you know, they're they're trying to figure something out. And then all of a sudden, what happens? That light bulb comes, you know, you see the little bubble with the light bulb. And what, what happened is there was enlightenment. They had an idea. 
You know, the more you think, the more ideas you'll have. If you're not having ideas. Maybe we need to try more thinking. I know most of us have all been thinking about something at, at one time or another, been showing something, and somebody's showing, you, you know, we've, we've done this a thousand times. Somebody comes over and they do it in front of us, and, and we all respond the same way. Oh, right? Oh, I get it now. What happened? You see, there was darkness about how this was supposed to happen, but then suddenly the light came on. It was revealed to you. You were enlightened to a certain truth. And so that's what he's praying for, that, that the, their eyes have been opened, and he's praying that more and more illumination will be given to the truth of God and about God. Paul said that the eyes of their heart had already been turned on, but he prayed that God would continue to shed light on them, that he would, he would lighten every dark corner of their mind. So many of us have had our eyes open to truths about God, but we're not growing in the knowledge of God. We need to pray for God to give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in our knowing Him. Now, at least to the last thing, final thing, is the cause of Paul's prayer. We see that in verses 18 through 19. Now, he's, he's been praying. Let's, let's trace this back. He says, since I heard of your faith and your love, your, your faith in Christ, your love for others, he says, ever since that point, I have not been able to stop praying for you. I can't stop giving thanks to God for you. And, and I am constantly making intercession for you. I'm constantly lifting you up in my prayers. And he's, he, he's very transparent with him. He says, this is exactly what I'm praying for. I want you to know what, what, I'm, what I'm praying specifically for you. He says, I'm praying that God would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. And that your eyes, which have been enlightened... That they would continue to be open and, and that you would continue to see more and more truths of God. Now, he says, I've been praying for this enlightenment. I've been praying for this knowledge. I've been praying for you to grow more and more in your knowledge of him. Now he says, this is what I want you to know. I've been praying. I've been giving thanks. I've been praying that you would know. Here's what I want you to know. And that's what we find in the last part of these verses. Here's what I want you to know. The cause of Paul's prayer for them. Verses 18 through 19. Let's read that. It says in verse 18, again, the eyes of your understanding be enlightened. For what? That you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe. And then he tags on according to the working of his mighty power. Paul prayed that they would know God, and here's what he wanted them to know. Three things that he wanted them to know. First of all, he wanted them to know the hope of his calling. And we see that in verse 18, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. Now, listen, although we strongly oppose the idea of God choosing some people to salvation over others, I want you to understand that there was not one of us, not one of us who were saved apart from the calling of God. Okay? And Jesus himself said, no man can come unto the Father except what? The Spirit would, would send me draw, draw him. All right? And so there is a calling that takes place. When the gospel message has been faithfully carried and delivered to the hearts of unbelievers, when the gospel has been carried, here's what I believe happens every single time. 
I believe, I believe the Spirit is faithful to bring conviction and begin working in the hearts of believers. Now, as the gospel is carried, the gospel is the, the truth that you are a sinner, that without Christ you're going to hell, that, that the judgment of God has been pronounced upon you, because, not because he hates you, but because you're, you've sinned against God. You've broken his law. But the gospel is this, that Jesus Christ died on the cross to take care of every part of that. That Jesus died on the cross, he rose again from the dead to give you forgiveness and life. And when that truth is presented, I believe the Holy Spirit begins working in the hearts of believers. Now, because we are free agents, because we have free will, that means that at the point that he begins working in our hearts, we have then the decision either to receive the gospel or reject the gospel. But here's the thing. I believe he begins convicting and working. Now, without getting into all the technicalities, here's the thing. Are you a believer in Jesus Christ? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, then you should be able to look back and remember when he began calling your heart. When he began speaking to your heart and says, this is you. You are the sinner. You are the one that needs Christ. And you must receive the gospel. And, he began to, and when you accept Jesus Christ, accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, you were responding to the calling of God. And guess what? That calling is not just a call, not only a calling to your position in Christ, but also to your purpose in Christ and what God wants you to do after that. Now, I want you to notice here, he says, I want your eyes to be enlightened. I want you to grow in this knowledge of him so that you can know, first of all, the hope of his calling. Now, that hope is such an important word because we don't use it the way that Paul did back then. When we say hope, usually what we're saying is uh, it's, it's some kind of, of hanging possibility that might come about. All right? Now, when we say that we want you to have hope in Christ or hope in salvation, we're not saying we, we want you to hope that you're saved. Right. We're saying that having been saved, you have hope. In that, there, the, hope is an assurance. It is standing firm in the in the assurance and in the promises of God that that He which called you is also going to be able to deliver you. That that His salvation is perfect, it's complete, and it's full, and it's non-refundable. And you don't hold it, so you can't lose it. That that's what we are. That's what our hope is: is knowing that in Christ we are already victorious. This is so important for us to understand. So important for us to understand. Because as we're fighting this battle in spiritual places, as we're fight, as we are engaging in this spiritual battle against Satan and his forces and, and so on and so forth, as, as we're in this battle, it's important for you to know, listen, this is so you've already won. Now, now you didn't win, but Christ already won. He's already victorious. You already have victory in him. Devil's already lost. Christ crushed his head the day he went to the cross and rose again from the dead. Christ crushed the head of the serpent that day. He, he's just wiggling. That's just nerves. He's already lost. Okay? So all that thrashing and all that, all that noise that he's trying to make and, and the chomping and the bite, it, he can't do anything. You've, you're already victorious in Christ. Victory is already yours. All Satan can do is try to pull off the illusion that you're losing. And if he can keep you fighting in, in the illusion of sin and the illusion of, of defeat, if he can keep you fighting within yourself and wrestling with sin, wrestling with this, wrestling with that, then he can keep you off fighting him, right? 
So exactly what I'm saying. But, but you've got to know, you, you've already got the victory in Christ. It's already been won. Amen. He's a roaring lion, but he's got no teeth. Right? He's been declawed, de-teethed, de-toothed. I don't know what you call it, but he, he, can't, he can't do anything. Unless you let him. The hope of his calling. He wants you to know the hope, the victory, and the assurance that we have in this calling of Christ. Not only the hope of our calling, but as soon as I find the next point, we'll talk about it. The riches of his inheritance. Verse 18. Uh, Let's look at that. He says uh, that you may know the hope of his calling. And look at this. And the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Now, every mention of inheritance to this point has pointed towards the inheritance that we have in him. Y'all have heard me talk about inheritance you know, ever since the first week as we've come in this. And so uh, we, we've talked over and over about the inheritance. But every other mention has always been what we are inheriting in him. It's what he has and what we're getting, what we're benefiting from. But I want you to understand that in verse 18, that's not the case here. Here we're not talking about what we have in Christ. We're talking about what he has in us. Look at this. And this is so important to catch because if we're not looking at that last part of the verse, then, then we miss it. It says, the riches of the glory of his inheritance where? In the saints. Now let me ask you a question. Whose inheritance is it? Who's inheriting something here? He is. He is. And where is his inheritance found? In the saints. Right. Now there's something almost poetical here. Because over and over and over again, he's talked about our inheritance in Christ. Those great riches and and everything that we have in Jesus Christ. Then he flips back and he says, I want you to know, first of all, the hope of your calling. I want you to know the great riches, the glory, and the blessings of his inheritance in the saints. Now, some of us may look at this and we may oppose this at first and say, no, no, no. I mean, uh, what what could he possibly get as an inheritance in us? So how could we? How could we possibly? We we sinners. How could we possibly be an inheritance that he would want, that he would take glory in? I think what this does it just speaks right back to us and it shows us how incredibly valuable we are to God. As a matter of fact, in other verses, we are called his special treasure. We are his treasured people. I think what he wants us to know here is how much he, he loves us, how much he cares about us, how much he treasures you. God wants you to know that. And Paul was praying that they would. I like this statement. I, I found this somewhere. It says, God deals with us on the basis of our future, not on our present. You see, what God knows what God knows is that you are a sinner saved by grace. And what he knows is that although you may find yourself floundering every once in a while now, and although you're not perfect now, he knows what you're going to be. He knows what you are in Christ. And he knows what the end result is. And that is, there's nothing more precious to him 
than you in Christ. That leads us to the third thing. Not only the hope of his calling, not only the riches of his inheritance, but the greatness of his power. We find that as we read verses 19 through 20. Let's look at this one more time. It says, and what is the exceeding greatness? I want you to notice all the times it talks about power and greatness. It says, what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe, looking at this, according to the work of his mighty power, which he has wrought. That's another word that, that emphasizes power, which he has wrought where? In Christ. He said, I want you to know the hope of his calling. I want you to know the riches of his inheritance. But I want you to know this as well. His power. The power that's available to you. Listen, the more that we know of God, the more that we understand who we are in Christ, the more that our eyes are open to what we have in spiritual places, the more God is able to demonstrate his power through us for his glory. Now, I want you to never mistake this. God loves you. That's true. And God saved you because he loves you. And God has purpose for you because he loves you. But don't ever mistake the fact that you are here for his glory. You are here for his glory. And when your life stops being a a vehicle of glory or a tool of glory to God... We need to start giving some serious thought and serious, um, you know, consideration to our lives. Serious repentance to our lives. Because we're not here just to hang out on this earth. We're not here just to come and sit down on pews and, and, and play Christian and then go do, you know, do things that don't bring God. We are here for God's glory. But listen, when we decide that we're going to grow in our knowledge of God and that we are going to, uh, we're giving our whole life to Him. We talked about that surrender this morning, giving, giving our whole life. We want God to work in and through us. We want Him to change the world around us because of, uh, because of what He's done for us and what He wants to do for other people. And, and we align ourselves with the Word of God and, and we commit ourselves to Him and to His purpose and His kingdom. Here's what happens. His power starts flowing through us. And He starts doing things and ministering to people through us. He wants us to know that we're not powerless in this fight, but we've got all the power we need right now to accomplish His will on earth. Most of us get where we need to go by car. Now understand this, the car itself has everything that we need to get us to our destination if it's running right. The car itself has everything we need to get us to our destination. It has the engine, it's got the wheels, it's got the seat, it's got everything we need. Yet the only way that the car will ever get us there is when we are properly positioned in the car. You can't stand outside the car and say, man, I wish this car would get me where I need to go. It's only going to work when, it's, when you're properly positioned in that car. I want you to understand as Christians, we have access to all the power that we need to live this Christian life. But it's all found in Jesus Christ. The reason why we stay stuck in the Christian life is because we are not properly positioned in our relationship with Him. The one who gives us strength.
And so if you're finding a lack of power in your life, a lack of power in victory over sin, a lack of power in, in ministry as you're trying to reach others, if you're finding, finding a lack of power anywhere, it's not because the power's not available. It's because somewhere you've shifted, you're not positioned in the right place. Because in Christ, we already have all the power that we need. My prayer for you today is that you would position yourself properly in Christ, that God would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, and that he would open the eyes of our hearts, that we may know the hope of his calling, the riches of his inheritance, and the exceeding greatness of his power, which he has given to us through Christ.